Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas, and welcome back to the Ground Up podcast. Uh, today, I've got another CEO interview, and I'm really excited today with this interview to have Sumit Roy, the CEO of Realty Income, with us today. Sumit, it's great to see you. Very nice to see you as well, Brad. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, um, one reason I'm excited is, of course, I've got a new book out right here, a little commercial, uh, The Intelligent Read Investor Guide. And um, this book, I, I'm sure you haven't read it yet, but uh, you know what we do in this book is we help we, we help educate investors on how to pick the most intelligent REITs. And of course, it's no it's, it's no surprise that Realty Income is, in my book, uh, one of the most intelligent REITs today. And of course, we're going to touch on a lot of this here on this call and why I believe so. And maybe you can help back up that story. Um, but first and foremost, uh, congratulations. This is the first time we've actually uh, spoken since the uh, really transformational news of Verit, a merger that is expected to now close in the uh, fourth quarter of 2021, has a shareholder approval now. Uh, this will boost the company's a combined company to a $50 billion enterprise value. Uh, it's the sixth largest REIT in the RMZ. So congratulations there, Sumit. And uh, uh, tell us if you would. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to there's a lot to chew on here with Barry. But the, the things I wanted to really touch on are first the synergies and the opportunities to really create more accretion, not just day one. But I think one of the things that is missing from this story is the amount of debt that can be refinanced over time. So can you touch on that synergistic uh, transaction with Barry? Yes, thank you for that. Uh, yes, the um, the transaction is uh, we use the same word transformational for us, taking us to a completely different uh, size and scale uh, that we've all been aspiring towards. Uh, given how scalable our net lease business model is, as as you know, Brad. Um, you know the synergies we've we've talked about it um, is in this thirty five to forty five million dollars zip code seventy five percent of which we expect to to realize uh, within the very first twelve months of post closing, and that is well on track. Um, currently, we find ourselves uh, in the midst of trying to get the two companies integrated. Uh, as you might recall, August twelfth, we had shareholder votes for the two respective companies. And uh, there was overwhelming support. I think um, varied shareholders voted 99% uh, plus in favor of, uh, of uh, you know, this particular transaction. And our shareholders came in at 90, not, well north of 98% in favor of this transaction. So, you know, in a situation where oftentimes um, uh, mergers and acquisitions are, are looked upon as winners and losers, this truly has been viewed as a win-win situation for both, both companies. So we are very proud of that. Uh, and our focus has, has um, primarily shifted now towards integrating the two companies and making sure that we are setting ourselves up to, to realize the synergies that, we, uh, you know, that we've talked about. And, and you raised a very important point. You know, when we talk in terms of earnings accretion, we talk in terms of you know, day one, what is the expected outlook for the next 12 months? We oftentimes lose sight of additional levers of value uh, that could potentially be there for, for this combined entity. And uh, one of the main ones is, is, is the one you just referenced, Brad, around essentially taking their um, balance sheet and refinancing it with an A-A rated credit 
and and the synergies that that will translate to um, the the value creation, the accretion that it will translate to in the future years, I think is something that often doesn't get uh, uh, spoken about, and that is that is clearly the case here. You know, we have a higher rating than Bayre does, and our ability to access sources of capital, including the international markets certainly will will allow us to create value uh, over the next seven, eight, nine years uh, that it'll take to, to essentially refinance this entire balance sheet. So, uh, uh, you know, not only do we have year one value uh, that, that will be realized, but uh, we are looking forward to, you know, uh, continued value creation through this combination for years to come. Great. Well, another thing that I thought was really interesting I want you to touch on is the office portfolio. Now, you know, as I've covered realty income over the over the last decade or so, um, you know, I've always viewed the I know realty income's office exposure was fairly modest in that you were acquiring properties that you may have already had a relationship with the company. For example, Walgreens is a good example of that, where you had suburban office only tied to that because of the number of, of retail stores. Now, the plan currently is to take these office assets and spend those into, there's 97 properties there, $183 million uh, in rent. Is that still the, the, the plan going forward? And, and will that potentially remove some potential overhang with that uh, spend situation? Yeah, um, you know, since we are still in the midst of um, uh, trying to spin the business off, et cetera, uh, there's not much I can add to what's already out there in the public domain, Brad, outside of saying, yes, both the spin and a potential sale is, uh, uh, um, you know, our, our paths that we are pursuing. And uh, regardless of which one of these particular paths eventually effectuate, uh, we are shooting for a fourth quarter close. And uh, I can report to you that we are we are along both those paths and things are progressing um, as as we had anticipated. Well, there's been some interesting news, of course, right there in your backyard in San Diego. We've been covering and actually own shares in a little small REIT called City Office. And yesterday morning, uh, a little announcement there, them selling off the San Diego portfolio, which created quite a buzz and about a 20 percent pop to the share price in that day. Um, and also we've got, you know, Sam Zell now in a bidding war on the Monmouth assets. So we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, activity in the market right now. And obviously these cap rates seem to be getting uh, better and better. So that's only going to make things look better for the realty income business model. Um, if we could, let's move over to Europe. I'm planning to go to Europe here, hopefully, hopefully in October. Uh, while I'm there, I'm going to be visiting some of the properties that now I own, thanks to realty income. These grocery stores, uh, Stansbury, which of course is a big player in Europe, I understand. Uh, $2.7 billion of exposure since May of 2019. So you've really kicked the European expansion into high gear. 83 properties currently as of the last uh, deck in the second quarter. Uh, what about Europe? Are you still planning to uh, to kind of, you know, expand in Europe? And is that a, is that a big focus for the company? It certainly is. Uh, if you recall in the second quarter when we came out with our earnings uh, announcement and we shared with you the acquisitions that we'd achieved, 50%, slightly north of 50%, uh, and this was the first time it's ever happened, uh, uh, of our acquisitions were in, in, in the UK. And so, you know, what was what started off as a modest addition to our acquisition strategy, where this was going to add 
another particular area of growth for us, and we were estimating it would be in the zip code of 10 to 20 percent, uh, has far exceeded our, our expectations. And, and clearly, you've shared some numbers that, that will attest to, to the statement I've just made. And, and the fact that, you know, we always like to walk before we run, Brad, and you know this, you've been, you've been you know, our shareholder for, for so many, so many years. We, we like to understand what it is to go into a new situation. There are inherently new risks that we need to get comfortable with, some of which, and we hope most of which we are able to anticipate before it actually occurs so we can create the right guardrails, but some of it are brand new. And so, um, thankfully, this particular expansion of our acquisition strategy has been uh, quite successful. And, um, you know, we feel very comfortable to now continue that particular model uh, onto Western Europe. Uh, this is something we've talked about in, in, in public forums, in, in our earnings calls, that, you know, our uh, international strategy was not a UK-based strategy. Yes, UK was the was the geography that we had identified as the first, especially given the kind of products we were looking for and what we were able to, um, um, you know, facilitate uh, through that first sale lease pack that we did with Sainsbury's. But but now we are very comfortable. We've developed the muscle memory required to be successful in UK, and we want to take that model and basically replicate it. So. Yes, don't be surprised if we if we continue the expansion into Western Europe. Great. Well, um, if we could, let's move to one of my favorite uh, topics, which of course is the balance sheet. You mentioned A rating, fortress balance sheet. There. What's interesting is if we since we've covered realty income over the years, we've watched the indirect peer Prologis uh, move to you know triple B, triple B plus to A rating, and then we went. I think it was 18, 19 months after that, Realty Income kind of followed in those in that path. Of course, now what I'm hoping, I'm sure you are too, that multiple moves in the same path is prologious. Um, so my question here is, with your cost of capital today, um, are you able to transact, you know, in more in the industrial logistics space? Can you be competitive in logistics, uh, either both in, in the U.S. or abroad, in terms of your cost of capital today? Yeah, I, I believe we can, you know, and, and we've shown that if you look at what we were able to do in the first half of this year of 2.1 billion, um, you know, quite a bit of that was industrial assets. And, and I think the, the, the testament to it is, yes, industrial assets are very expensive today, but our cost of capital has also continued to improve over the last 18 months since the, the midst of the pandemic. You know, if you look at what what we can do on the debt side of things. Um, here in the US, our 10-year unsecured will probably be in that 1.92% zip code. But in UK, it's going to be 40, 50 basis points inside of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we just did a UK green bond offering and the all-in cost was 1.49%. Mm -hmm. and, and the weighted average um, uh, term on that particular unsecured bonds, there were two tranches, was right north of 9%. In Europe, I would say that it is about 120 basis points instead of what we can do here in the US. So if you try to match fund, you know, product with cap rates, you very quickly can see why um, our cost of capital uh, and our rating, which is what's, you know, uh, portable across the pond, has translated into a, a weighted average cost of capital that does allow us to, to pursue the best and best uh, uh, real estate. 
and and that will continue to be part of our overall strategy. Um, and uh, you know, and there's no secret that industrial is something that we've identified and we've we've continued to grow. And post this merger, in fact, um, you know, our portion of uh, the overall portfolio being uh, industrial will go up uh, by three to four hundred basis points. Great. One thing I want to touch on, Suman. I know we talked about this maybe in the last call, certainly last year when uh, when COVID was really at the bottom and your specifically your theater exposure. So now it looks like in your investor deck that upon completion of the very deal, your, your two theater uh, operators, are, they fall off that list, the top 10 list, correct? And so how does that diversify, diversification come into play uh, with this merger and, and your ability to scale uh, the business? Yeah, uh, and look, those were some of the advantages that we touched on when we first announced the transaction that um, one of the lessons learned through the pandemic had been that, uh, you know, perhaps theater business uh, should not represent a 6% uh, of our overall portfolio allocation. And what we did say was, but we don't want to sort of over-index to what the lessons are here during the, uh, the pandemic because during the last financial crisis, this was an industry that had done very well. But we did say that, you know, where we ended up was it should be right around 3% of the overall allocation and we'll be comfortable in that zip code. And again, because of who we are buying and their lack of uh, investments in the theater business, post uh, close, this allocation will come down. And, and we've got some statistics that, we could, you know, that we've shared in the deck that we put out uh, uh, in terms of what the performer company is going to look like. And that's going to be right around the targeted allocation that we had, which is a good thing. But let's, you know, let's talk about the theater industry because uh, one of the reasons that um, we pointed to that allowed us to increase our guidance and, um, you know, share with the market, you know, almost a 10 cent increase in, in the midpoint of our previous guidance to, to our new guidance was largely driven by the recovery of the theater industry. Um, in the month of July, we had reported um, that we had collected almost 99% of the, of the theater rents, which is a good thing. Uh, and, and again, very much uh, correlated with the theater's opening, content going through the theaters, and as we had uh, anticipated, you know, doing really well, you know, creating north of $100 million in box office. And you can't, you can't replicate that through a streaming only model. And I think that was our original hypothesis, which is why we, we, you know, we, we kept staying true to our knitting. And I think the data is now starting to prove that, that that's the case. And as long as we don't have another major shutdown, which I don't anticipate, despite what we're seeing with the Delta variant, um, you know, um, I, I do believe that the theater industry long term is an industry that that's, that's going to have a place. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to remind the audience, I think realty income was only maybe two of maybe two out of uh, maybe two or three out of the entire net lease sector that did have positive earnings. And that's AFFO per share growth in 2020. Um, finally, let's touch on the dividend summit, which is always uh, important for me. And of course, of course, your company is called the monthly dividend company. So I know it's important for the company uh, 26 years in a row. Um, so now you're, uh, you're more than halfway to becoming a dividend king, uh, which is, of course, a 50-year record. Um, how do you feel about it today in terms of your payout ratio, uh, kind of moving now closer into this, into this uh, transaction with very, uh, how do you feel about your dividend today? 
Look, uh, our dividend is is what drives every part of our business. You know that that singular focus on our mission statement of being the monthly dividend company that grows the dividend over time. That's a mantra that we try to live up to every day. Um, on August 17th, we declared our 614th consecutive monthly dividend. Uh, we are part of the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats Index. And like you mentioned, that's uh, it's a testament to having grown our dividend 26, 27 years. And we are only three REITs uh, in, a, in a very exclusive list of 65 overall companies in this. And these are things that, you know, uh, it's not something that we want to feel prideful about, but it is something that guides our philosophy about how we want to run our business. You know, being this conservative real estate business that has a very long-term view and perspective on how to invest takes a macro as well as a micro uh, view on, on investments. I think that's what gives us confidence that this is, uh, you know, that the staying singularly focused on, on the dividend uh, is, is very important to us and it's sacrosanct to how we think about, um, you know, optimizing our balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of our payout ratio, we continue to create more, um, you know, safety in terms of, you know, keeping it in that 80%, 79% zip code. And, um, um, and, and, you know, that again gives us the ability to withstand certain downturns in the economy like last year. And not once did we ever feel like, you know, and I think we, you and I might have even spoken, Brad, hey, are you going to continue to pay your dividend? Of course, we were going to do that. Um, and, and it's a testament to the, how we have devised the overall portfolio and how we continue to perform. And just like you said, we still grew the business 2% in 2020. And it's part of how we think about the philosophy of running our business and dividend is central to that. Yeah. Well, it's a good feeling. I remember as a developer, getting uh, rent checks in the mail from Family Dollar and CVS. And I was really excited. Of course, then I had expenses to pay. These weren't net leases, a lot of these, especially Family Dollar. So that thrill would kind of be a little bit dilutive as I had to pay for toilets and, and roof leaks or whatever. Um, so now the feeling of getting 10,000 rent checks in the mail every single month via a dividend check from Realty Income. Because if you really think about it, that's what I'm getting. I'm now getting 10,000 rent checks coming in because that's how many properties. Actually, I think it's over that 10,000. And let me be precise. I'll go to your filing. It was 10, over 10,300 rent checks coming in every month, which makes up, which powers this this uh, this monthly dividend. So, uh, uh, and I don't have to worry about the three, D, three Ts, the toilets, the trash and the taxes. Uh, so that's a really big thrill to get that check every single month. No, thank you, Brad. And just to be clear, it's not 10,300 properties yet. It will be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fourth quarter. We're looking forward to that. Thank you for that clarification. And Sumit, listen, thank you again for your time. Congratulations. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with you. Well, you're a $50 billion enterprise REIT and the sixth largest in the RMZ. So really exciting news for the, for you and the company, as well as a shareholder. So, so thank you very much again. It's my pleasure, Brad, and thank you for being a shareholder. We really appreciate it. You bet.